he's not, you know, he can't just pull this one out of the hat because the folks who have come out very strongly against him, especially, you know, it's centered on suburban white women who, you know, they only just uh, won their seats in 2018 with that Democratic blue wave. You know, it's traditionally Republican areas, and so they would be dead in the water if they, you know, came out strong against Madigan and then went back on their words. They would be, their careers would be over. It's kind of like, well, finally, this is the speaker's day of reckoning on so many levels. But once he is gone, the state is still going to have to, um, you know, deal with the consequences of him overseeing the budget for so many years. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. It's not just the Missouri legislature that's now in session. Illinois' legislature convened Friday for a lame duck session that remains underway. Its new session begins Wednesday, and with that comes big changes. The nation's longest-serving statehouse speaker, that's Chicago Democrat Mike Madigan, has been implicated in a bribery scandal. He now appears to be out. And this morning, Hannah Meisel joined us with the latest. She is NPR Illinois' statehouse reporter. And I started by asking her about the big news that came out of a private House Democratic caucus meeting on Sunday night. I asked Hannah what happened there. Right. On Sunday night, uh, House Democrats uh, gathered for the first time to do, you know, an official first round vote to, you know, kind of see where everyone was in their corners. And uh, the speaker who needs 60 votes to retain her speakership uh, only got 51, which, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a long way from the 60 he needs, but it's still a lot more than his next closest challenger, who is a Democrat from Chicago. Her name is Ann Williams. Um, so that was, you know, that really set up uh, the rest of the week. Um, yesterday morning, uh, the speaker issued a statement and he said he would be suspending his campaign for speakership, but not withdrawing, hmm. um, which then a lot of, you know, I, I went and talked to some of his loyalists and they th- say they're still with him. But then a couple of other challengers emerged. Jay Hoffman, who happens to be from the Metro East in your listening area, um, he has deep ties to labor and trial lawyers who you know, are big funders of uh, Illinois Democrats. You know, he's served in the legislature for almost 30 years. And uh, Chris Welch, who is a member of the Black Caucus, uh, very, uh, you know, easygoing. Lots of people like him, but you know, he's definitely um, close to the speaker. And he uh, angered a lot of people uh, this fall when, you know, he was accused of protecting the speaker during you know, a proceeding launched by Republicans to try to figure out um you know, did the speaker do anything wrong? Did the speaker do anything untoward uh, in the federal investigation of combat of this bribery scheme, for which we should mention he has not been charged? Okay, he has not been charged. And for those who have not been paying attention to this, give us the very short version of this. Um, what's the essence of the allegations that federal authorities are looking into? 
Sure. So this summer, uh, federal prosecutors filed what's called a deferred prosecution ag agreement against um, this big electric utility in the Chicago area, Commonwealth Edison. And it alleged a years-long bribery scheme uh, to benefit the speaker, to curry favor with the speaker. Um, but at, at that time, he wasn't charged. And, you know, several months later, back in November, when four ComEd uh, lobbyists and a former executive were actually charged, he was still not charged. Uh, but he remains uh, public official A, is what, you know, feds made, made no bones about it, that the speaker is public official A, uh, for whom the bribery scheme was designed. Okay. And so this has led to the erosion of, of his support within that Democratic caucus. What happens if the House can't settle on a new speaker by Wednesday? Well, you know, to me, I read the Constitution, and it says that they have to convene to at least do one vote. Um, but it doesn't mean that, um, you know, someone has to be decided on Wednesday. For example, in 1975, uh, the, House Dem the House went through, gosh, I think it was 93 votes to get to a speaker. And, but the thing is, once you do go beyond, um, you know, that Wednesday, the House rules stipulate that you can't do any legislation before you have a House Speaker. And that's, it's going to be, it's difficult because, you know, the, the General Assembly hasn't met in months before this. Uh, the last time they met was May before they um, came back to Springfield um, last week. And we are going through so many concurrent crises. We're, crises. we're still dealing with COVID. We're still, you know, we have a $4 billion budget hole and, you know, just so many other things. And so to hamstring themselves with the House rules, um, it's going to be, it, it's really unfortunate. It also puts Democrats in a really tight spot politically. Is there any chance that Madigan could be back? If, if none of these other candidates can pull together a big enough coalition to get 60 votes, is it possible people will just turn to this guy and say, okay, you know, he's done this job before. Let's just go with him. Well, that's what his uh, suspension, but not withdrawal of his campaign uh, seemed, you know, most people read it to mean that he would let uh, the Democrats fight amongst themselves. And then when it was clear to them that there was no consensus candidate, that people would just come crawling back to him. But, you know, for all the people who think that he's some sort of magical wizard and like, yes, he is very smart and powerful, and he has, you know, ruled the, the Democratic caucus at least, you know, at the very least with an iron fist for, you know, decades. He's not, you know, he can't just pull this one out of the hat because the folks who have come out very strongly against him, especially, you know, it's centered on suburban white women who, you know, they only just won their seats in 2018 with that Democratic blue wave. You know, it's traditionally... Republican areas. And so they would be dead in the water if they, you know, came out strong against Madigan and then went back on their words. They would be, their careers would be over. Okay. So he may not be able to get to 60. He's in that same boat as everybody else. People may not have the number of votes they need at this point. You think that includes him? Oh, yes. I mean, listen, I, I guess I have to say, like everyone says, don't count him out, but I, I just don't see him winning. Hmm. 
Well, so we're in this lame duck duck session here for the next couple days. Does that mean nothing is going to get done before this new legislature comes on board on Wednesday and this new speaker gets chosen? Or is there going to be a flurry of action in the next day? Oh, definitely a flurry of action. Um, You know, the the Legislative Black Caucus has for months been putting together this, um, you know, kind of bevy of bills that they feel would address, um, you know, the roots of inequality and, you know, actually uh, spur true equity. And, you know, they have these four pillars. It's education, economic access, um, health care, and uh, criminal justice reform. And already the education uh, part of their, um, their big omnibus plan has passed both chambers. Uh, criminal justice has definitely been um, tricky. There's a lot. I mean, police unions have been very, very angry about what the Black Caucus has put forward. It, you know, includes things like qualified immunity and, mm. um, you know, even licensing police officers. At the end of the day, I don't think that those huge, huge things could go, you know, will actually pass. I mean, already the education bill was somewhat watered and that was, um, the one that seemed most palatable, you know, the other two bills, you know, also had major things that needed to be taken out because the healthcare bill, for example, would have uh, messed with Medicaid such that basically blow a billions of dollars uh, hole in Illinois' budget. Because, you know, when you mess with complicated federal formulas and stuff like that, you don't get reimbursed and that would really sink us. But you know, I, I, I do think that the Black Caucus um, wants to make a statement because, you know, 2020 was the year of white people finally, you know, kind of waking up and say, oh, there there is systemic injustices in our society. And they're saying, great, let's actually do something about it. And so they are daring their colleagues to stand with them and, you know, pass these bills and do something about it. Um, You mentioned the budget hole, that if they try to push some of these things through, that this could create. But as you mentioned earlier, we're already looking at a huge budget hole here. I believe it's about $4 billion out of balance at this point. Is this something that the lame duck legislature needs to deal with? Or is this going to be a problem for the new speaker once that person is chosen and the new session gets underway? That's going to be a problem uh, later this spring. Um, So this $4 billion budget hole Half is already going to be paid by borrowing from the Federal Reserve. But um, the legislature and the governor's office is hard-pressed to find cuts. And this, you know, of course, this also goes back to Madigan because for years and years and years, Republicans have blasted Madigan for being so friendly to public sector labor unions and Republicans' big beef with the speaker's continued power for all these years is that um, he has done things that benefit him and party politically, uh, including being very, very friendly to labor and trial lawyers. But, you know, those are things that ultimately um, business doesn't see as a good deal at all. And um, a lot of it also blows back on the state and it's kind of like, well, finally, this is the speaker's day of reckoning on so many levels. But once he is gone, the state is still going to have to, um, you know, deal with the consequences of him overseeing the budget for so many years. And 
And yeah, this, this could get ugly. I mean, voters rejected uh, the governor's signature graduated income tax referendum. Does this mean we're going to see likely other big uh, taxes being levied? As, as you mentioned, people are saying they can't find a way to get to these cuts. Right. I mean, I I think that inevitably, maybe it won't be this year. I mean, it's very, very difficult. Uh, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, the resulting uh, recession. But down down the line, there needs to be revenue that needs to be looked at. But it, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier when it's not branded as the Madigan tax raise. And, you know, like you said, voters rejected that uh, graduated income tax plan. And that's because the opposition was able to tie it to, quote unquote, corrupt politicians and point to Mike Madigan, point to Democrats through the years and say, this is the these are the people that you're going to trust with your tax dollars, reject it. And voters did. Hmm. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about today, Hannah, and that is that the FBI has reported threats of armed protests at state houses across the U.S. in the coming days. How does Illinois State House security feel to you at this point? Is is there cause for concern there in particular? You know, the, I, I also saw that FBI bulletin and the governor was asked about that yesterday. And he basically said, you know, we are beefing up security. He, he couldn't discuss in detail, which, you know, I guess is understandable. But, you know, it's definitely more than I've seen in the past, but it's not anything like armed guards. And truly, I think the uh, make the political makeup as it is, like, I'm not sure that a ton of, um, you know, folks are going to be interested in the Illinois State House versus a lot of the other state houses where, um, you know, just the political makeup of their states is different. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I hope I don't have to eat my words. <laughs> I hope you don't either. I understand also the House is meeting in a different place. They're meeting in a convention center. This is to, to hopefully spread or stop the spread of germs. Right. That uh, This is what they did back in May also. Um, the convention center is this massive 40,000 uh, square foot cavernous place. And lawmakers are all spread out. Um, They each have their own table six feet apart. You know, they're required to wear masks at all times. Um, And so security is very tight. In fact, uh, you know, every time I, as a reporter, uh, asked to use the washroom, I am escorted by a state trooper. Wow. Well, it sounds like they're taking uh, they're taking their COVID precautions seriously, and they are taking their security uh, precautions seriously. It's always interesting to hear about the differences between Missouri and Illinois. And and Hannah, you've given us such a good overview with so much happening at your state house these days. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, ninety point seven KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you.